beautiful people. Welcome to God is Gray, the podcast. Although I, as a Christian, believe that God resides in absolute truth, in black and white, we as people are stuck here on planet Earth contending with the gray. In church, gray areas often cause dissension, anger, and even hate. But on this platform, I welcome open dialogue, variety of opinion, and differing belief systems. God is Gray is meant to teach, inform, and simply trade stories with kindness, love, and mutual respect. If you have a story or perspective to share, please reach me, Brenda Marie Davies, at GodIsGrayXO at gmail.com. To support the cause and be a part of our community, donate to patreon.com slash godisgray. Now, on to the episode. This is the wonderful Dr. Julie Slattery. I was really looking forward to slash a little nervous about the conversation because obviously we don't see eye to eye on everything. My my thinking and theology is probably more conservative than yours. Totally, but yeah. on the on the same hand, it's like I, I appreciate just a healthy critical thought about some destructive ways that some of that's being applied and misapplied. So, yeah. Wow, okay. Thank you. I'm so relieved to hear that. That's amazing. Give them a little brief like synopsis of, you know, how you describe yourself and your ministry. Yeah, for sure. So how I describe myself. Well, I started out as a clinical psychologist, so that's kind of my professional training. In a and, secular manner or? Um, you know, a little bit of both. Yeah, you know, I I grew up in the Christian church, so, um, you know, definitely come from a faith perspective. And a lot of the work that I did even early on was women's issues, marriage issues, things like that. Uh, I've been married for almost 25 years. We have three sons. Mm -hmm. uh, And so kind of have done the whole career family balance for a while. And um, was sort of a generalist in terms of psychology and my practice. And writing and stuff like that. And then about six years ago, had a really dramatic call on my life. Just God just burdening my heart for sexual issues and sexual brokenness. Wow. Um, yeah. And just the issues that particularly women are dealing with that I feel like no one's being honest about. And um, particularly within the Christian church, yeah. we just sort of, you know, like fly by and give um, platitudes or simplistic answers to really complex issues. So, um, right. Yeah, so started a ministry about six years ago called Authentic Intimacy, and the whole purpose of it is to address sexual issues from uh, a faith, a Christian perspective, but to do so in a way that is is authentic, that's real, yeah. you yeah. Know, and it's okay sometimes to say, I don't know, let's let's research that together instead of having to have all the answers. Yeah. Yeah, and I just, you know, we were just talking about how we do not completely agree about everything, and that's why we're both so excited to have this conversation, because we're both truth seekers, obviously. Yeah. Who even knows if we'll ever get there before we're dead? (laughs) We know. I tell you, we never will, and I think that's part of uh, the way we got it. We have to approach all these conversations. Is, you know, we can seek truth and dialogue, pray. But, you know, humility is the fact that we're going to get to heaven someday and be like, wow, I didn't expect to see you there. Or <laughs> um, I totally got this wrong. I thought it was like, so was that right. Marilyn Manson walking by? What? <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, even some of the things we believe theologically, I know I'm going to find out I'm wrong about things. Yeah. And, you know, I think when you start with that, it takes a lot of the pressure off. I love that humility. That's amazing. I feel the same way. Um 
Well, I think it's incredible what you're doing, but it's also so interesting because I noticed when you speak about sexuality and the call that you had on your life to just be honest and, as you say, authentic about it, I grew up in the exact like opposite universe in church where I felt sexuality was this obsession. Mm-hmm. Like, like, And I think it's because maybe people in a generation right before really felt called to start addressing sexuality in a real way but the messages were not quite there yet. And I don't think they realized the harm that it would cause to make some of these like sweeping generalizations. And one thing I love that you say is that you don't believe in like purity culture and that teaching you're about sexual integrity. Mm -hmm. What is the difference between those two? Yeah. Well, you know, I think you're right that particularly in the nineties and around there, we talk about sex all the time, but what I would say Yeah, but it's always about sexual morality. It's about the list of do's and don'ts, um, which is based on almost like a fear culture of you better not do this or your life will be ruined. And I understand where that comes from, like even as a parent, you know, wanting to protect your kids from things that could be harmful. Um, But it totally took out any message or even understanding of why does God care about your sexuality? Totally. Yeah. Um, yeah, like what's the bigger picture? And also it, it just presented this false dichotomy of there's some pure people and there's some really messed up people. Mm-hmm. And that's just not consistent with the whole of the Bible or God's heart. You know, he doesn't see us in categories of you're good and you're bad. Um, you know, the larger message of the Bible is that we all are sinners and we all need God's grace. Um, it doesn't matter whether you had sex before marriage or not. You still are a sinner and needs, needs God's grace. And I think the purity culture and message presented this whole almost like legalistic, pharisaical thing around sex where your salvation depends on how good you are with sexual morality. Yeah. Um, so that's it's a false teaching and it ruined a lot of people's theology and it distanced them from God. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, it's so I wanted to share with you as well a little bit about my backstory, um, because basically I grew up in the purity culture. I organized the chastity ceremony at my church when I was 15. Wow, you did. (laughs) Yes. I was the one that was like, let's do this. Uh (laughs) So me and my friends got our purity rings and stuff. And two of them got married really young. And then um, one of them. Two of them did not make it, and then I almost made it. But at the end of the day, like, I think the biggest part of, like, contention between me and my dad, for example, even, was the issue of, like, LGBT and, like, whether or not that was a sin. And that caused so much friction in our lives. And my dad comes from a past where he wanted to you know, he was a good Catholic boy. My dad is in his 70s, so it's mm-hmm. nice and old school. Mm-hmm. But um, his wife ended up leaving him for another woman mm-hmm. because she was, you know, a gay woman in this marriage for 12 years with him. So I found that with like all of these different things spinning in my head, sex did become like the thing that made you Christian or not bad or good. Like, how do you think we can start really teaching these things in a healthy way where that's not what all of your, you know, faith lies upon? 
Yeah, and that's why I really like the idea of sexual integrity instead of some of the language we've grown up hearing yeah. or using. But it, it really, like if you think about that word integrity, Brenda, integrity talks about being a whole person, like not being divided. Right. So it's not like there's a part of me that loves God. There's a part of me that believes in humanism. You know, it's like we're splintered off, but it's like the whole of who I am is consistent. And so I think we've got to start with that. You know, I hate it when people just jump into conversations about these really controversial and personal sexual issues without developing a relationship of, I want to know you as a person. Um, what do you believe? What do you care about? Who's God to you? Um, because everything we believe about sexuality really needs to be built out of what we believe about the bigger issues of why are we here on this planet? And, you know, who is God and what does it mean that uh, that I'm a Christian or that I trust Jesus Christ for salvation? If we don't have those conversations and agree with or disagree with what we believe, those larger issues, it's not time to talk about whether homosexuality is right or wrong uh, or whether you should be sleeping with your boyfriend. You know, those those are later issues. Yeah. If that makes sense. So, you know, Jesus ah. went, Jesus went after people's hearts. And um, I think we need to go after each other's hearts um, and not just look at behaviors. Yeah, you say at one point Jesus didn't set out to make uh, heterosexual virgins. He sent out to make disciples. Yeah. So, and we seem to sometimes we set out to make heterosexual virgins. <laughs> we we do. I mean, in the and yeah. I'm referring to the Great Commission. Like Jesus doesn't mention sex in the Great Commission. He says, "Go out into all the world and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded." Yeah. And so, if you are a Christian, that's what you're here on earth to do: is to um, winsomely share your faith of who Jesus is to you. Yeah. And uh, and part of being a disciple of Jesus, yes, it does bleed into, okay, what does this mean for my sexuality? But again, that's after we've had meaningful interactions of the deeper issues of where's your heart? So Yeah. Okay, so I was kind of thinking of splitting this up in three categories because I'm um, curious about being single, being married, and then being LGBTQ, which will mm -hmm. probably be the most complicated one. But for single people, I like what you're saying about being a whole person, because I feel like a lot of people that I know, myself included, compartmentalize our sexuality. Um, for me, after I found out my husband cheated on me, I threw out the baby with the bathwater. I became promiscuous because I felt really angry and resentful that I had believed I was going to have this happily ever after that purity culture promised me. So I was kind of like, whatever, I'm going to do whatever I want. I don't believe in that promise anymore. Um, why do you think it is that people tend to like throw out the baby with the bathwater? And is there a way that we can stop that from happening where you're not feeling like my sex is here and my spirituality is here because they're yeah. separate? Yeah, really good question. So you threw out the purity message. Yeah. Um, and I, I which think threw what, out my sexual integrity. Right. Which, yeah. you know, which if I had known you back then and we had a chance to talk this through, I would have challenged you to throw out the purity message because it was based on lies the yeah. lie that if you keep yourself pure, you know, God's going to give you this wonderful husband and you're going to have a great sex life. You can't find that in, in the Bible. Who promised you that? 
maybe a pastor, pastor. did, <laughs> but it's not, it's not true. Um, you know, for some people, yeah, that does end up happening, but it didn't happen with me. Uh, you know, I got married as a virgin and sex within the first 10, 15 years of our marriage was just horrible. Oh my gosh. And, really? Um, yeah. I had, um, a lot of pain during intercourse and, uh, it was like the area of conflict between me and my husband. And at the time I'm a clinical psychologist, I should know better, yeah. but I, I had nobody to talk to and no Christian resources that were helpful to me. And it was like, wait a minute, we did this right. Why didn't we get what we were promised? Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, a lot of us need to throw out false teaching, even if it seems like it was true teaching, but when you say throw out the baby with the bathwater, then if you throw out the whole idea that God created us as sexual people, that he has a purpose in our sexuality and push into, okay, well then what is it? And what does healing look like? And why is it so, why is it so messed up in my life? You know, that's more of an integrity message of, I'm not going to take just what somebody told me. I want to go back to, uh, to the scriptures, you know, go back to the heart of God you know, what, what, what have I been believing that's not even true? And so I think, um, you know, just getting rid of maybe unhelpful messages from the church is different than turning your back on the fact that God is the creator of all of who we are, including our sexuality. Yeah. So like, um, I did listen to your interview with Joshua Harris, the author of I Kissed Dating Goodbye. Were you an advocate of the book at that time? Like, were you just excited to see the church talking about sex at all? Or did you recognize these harmful messages when they were being presented? I probably recognize the harmful messages. Uh, you know, you can't be a psychologist and be talking to real people about these issues yeah. without sniffing out that this doesn't really work for people. You know, the whole courtship model. Uh, and then also just the reality of you know, for example, I have so many women that I know that have been through really horrible, traumatic abuse. And uh, then, you know, they would tell me their stories. Then to hear that they're in a church setting where a pastor is telling them they're dressing immodestly yeah. or um, they should feel shamed for masturbating. I'm like, are you serious? Like, here's somebody yeah. who is so wounded and we're telling them this purity, modesty message that just heaps shame and makes them want to run away instead of saying, let me understand your woundedness and let, let it, this be a place of healing. And so when you're confronted with the real life issues of how people are wrestling through sexual woundedness and making sense of their sexuality, you know, these books maybe work for um you know, like I'm very select. Like zero, zero, zero. Yeah, you know, <laughs> we're homeschooled in the perfect family, and we're exposed to anything. Even then, they don't always work. But, but yeah. reality is that this, these are messy issues that you can't apply any formula to, and guarantee that it's going to turn out. Yeah, and that's why I always try to be so kind to the girl-defined girls who I know you're friends with because I think they're of the point zero zero one percent that those messages are very, like, 
they're working for them. And I'm like, I'm not going to say they don't work for everyone. Obviously, they do work for some people. But you're right. In the case of sexual assault and trauma, or even I did a modesty video and did a lot of research and found girls just talking about their bodies developing really quickly. They just physically couldn't cover up their body in that way. So there's so much shame surrounding a lot of those messages. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. Oh, I'm interested in the concept of sexual atheism that you're talking about, too, which is that compartmentalization that I feel like I did in my life. Yeah. Um, so sexual atheism is uh, I didn't come up with that term. I read it somewhere and really liked it. But it's okay. this, <laughs> I, this idea that. I really want to know God. I really want to serve God with most of my life. But sexuality is a very personal topic. And God is okay with me just making my decisions without him related to my sexuality. And I think a lot of us are sexual atheists. And I don't even just mean in the obvious ways of what you believe about different sexual issues or you're looking at pornography right after you go to church. You know, that's an example. But you know, I feel like in some ways I was a sexual atheist because I really couldn't square, even within my marriage, God's design for sex with what I was experiencing. Right. And so, um, you know, I just started like avoiding sex in my marriage, kind of hating it. Like, well, I guess I just have to please my husband. And that's really not God's heart for sexuality. And, yeah. you know, I would get to the place where I wouldn't want my husband to even approach me because I'd be like, I'm spiritual. I'm reading my Bible. This is my quiet time. And God like really confronted me. You're doing your quiet time. You're reading your Bible and you're, you're acting totally closed and to my word in this one area of your life and totally close to your husband. Like you're not pursuing healing. You're not pursuing what I designed this to be. And so that's a very subtle form of sexual atheism that I see all the time where women will go to Bible studies, they're involved in ministry. But when you start asking them about their own marriage or their own singleness, their own healing, like they're not pursuing it at all. And it's almost like, you know, this part of my life is just compartmentalized and has nothing to do with God. Right. Well, I think it's really difficult to pursue it with God because I've had to dismantle a lot of these ideas over the course of like 16 years and then the sexual journey that I was on. So it's like saving myself from marriage, I found very difficult because I was a very sexual being always. And um, at that moment in my life, I, I also had a period of anorexia. So I always kind of ex- like compare it to the anorexia moment where I was like, don't have sex, don't have sex, can't have sex, can't have sex. And I find mm-hmm. myself thinking about sex all day, <laughs> every day. Yeah. So, and it's the same thing when it comes to masturbation. I find that a lot of people, you know, when they're trying desperately to not do this thing because they were told they're by their pastor, you can't then it doesn't become authentic. Whereas, again, with anorexia, if you're like, okay, I want to be healthy, I want to be slim, or like have this figure that is appropriate for me, how do I actually get there in a tangible, healthy way? Like, because I don't think abstinence can really work if it's just you like white knuckling it and trying desperately not to do it. So how do you actually infuse the message of sexual integrity with 
your hormones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, you know, I think some of it, even as you're describing that, the message is don't be sexual, not just don't have sex, but it's like, brother, or don't be sexual. Wear your white dress, and then you'll be a sexual like. Right. Body. Yeah. And and again, I think even if it's well intentioned, that's built on a lie because you are always a sexual person. Not only are you always a sexual person, but by God's design, he created the hormones that we have. He created our bodies. He created, you know, sexual touch to feel amazing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he created all this. So going back to why did he create it? And most people will just tell you, well, he created it for marriage. Well, I disagree. Uh, I think marriage is a piece of that picture. But I think he created even people that will be single their whole lives to be sexual for a purpose. Um, because our sexuality is more about more than just what we do with our bodies. It is the part of us that longs for intimacy and longs for passion mm. and longs to be known in a vulnerable, safe environment. And, yeah. uh, you know, having sex with somebody is just one small piece of that. And I think because we only talk about that one piece, we don't recognize that you can be a very sexual person without having sex. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's what draws you into intimacy and what makes you pursue relationship. But ultimately, it's the thing here on earth that's the closest to us understanding the kind of relationship God wants to have with us. Yeah. Which really flips out a lot of people when they first hear that. But um, but if you read through the Bible. The, the Bible most often talks about sex as a metaphor to help us understand God's passionate, faithful love for us. So, um, you know, so that even when you grasp that, that changes how you view singleness. It changes how you view sex within marriage. It changes how you view infidelity and why infidelity hurts so much. Yeah. Uh, so, um, you know, like I look at issues like people always ask me about masturbation. And I'm like, you know, I think masturbation is less of an issue of morality and more issue of maturity. Um, you know, it's like really growing in our understanding of the purpose of our sexuality, understanding our needs for intimacy. And if we only focus on the morality piece, we're never calling people to grow and to mature. Yeah. I mean, to be frank, I feel like I have a very healthy relationship with masturbation. Um, mm -hmm. I know that some people say it's a sin and then I did a whole video on it. I like, I'm always looking in the Bible to clarify what's going on. And one of my curiosities is like, because you're a psychologist, which is so interesting in the Christian realm, um, at what point do we get medical information or scientific knowledge about sexuality and about sexual health? For example, like the sexually or the health benefits of masturbation, do we as Christians ignore those like advances in our understanding and stick to what the Bible says? Or do we actually like take into account that these practices might potentially be healthy if they're used in a healthy way? Yeah, I think we always need to look at the science. And as a matter of fact, I love to look at the science because I really believe that the science backs up God's design for sexuality. How so? Um, so I'll give you an example. Like um, there, one of the biggest hormones that's released uh, during sex is oxytocin. Mm -hmm. And oxytocin is a bonding hormone. Uh, it's the hormone that uh, that you get 
when you're pregnant, you have a baby so that you don't throw your baby out the window. (laughs) You know, it's like actually oxytocin makes um, your baby's diapers smell less offensive to you than any other baby's diapers. I mean, and science has proven this, that it's like a rose colored glasses effect. And so when a man and a woman have sex together, oxytocin is released in mass quantities uh, and it helps them bond together so that they they are experiencing like, hey, life is difficult, but we can together um, love each other through this and value each other through this. But what's interesting about the science is that men get like a huge dose of oxytocin released if they're having sex in a monogamous relationship. Uh, and so more often than the same woman, they're getting more and more oxytocin, which is helping them bond. But if a man has sex, uh, just like a one night stand, he actually gets a stronger dose of testosterone than oxytocin. Uh-uh. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it makes him, it's the love him and leave him. It makes him aggressive. Oh my gosh. It makes him competitive, but the woman will get the dose of oxytocin, which is why women have such a a much harder time with casual sex because they're bonding and he's not. Um, And so, you know, it's things like that. There's tons of studies like that. Another study shows that men who have a lot of oxytocin in their bodies are less likely to cheat sexually. So um, they're less attracted to an attractive woman that they're not with. So, you know, there's tons of research like that is showing you know, that God designs sexual expression to be within a committed relationship. And when we take it outside of a committed relationship, really, it's not good for us in the long run. Yeah. And I think what I like to tell my audience, too, is I know that don't do this, don't do this doesn't actually work, um, or at least usually. Um, But I can say that, yes, of course, being promiscuous did cause me harm. Thank Mm -hmm. God there was no health side effects or anything. But, um, you know, I always joke with my friends and be like, I did a lot of shower crying. I did a lot of like, you know, leaving someone's house and being, I'm fine, bye. And then coming home and crying in the shower. And looking back at, I just feel like I wasted so much time, so much energy, so much joy was stolen from me just because I was choosing to not honor myself in this way. I was choosing to not align with people that were aligned with me, that were going to respect my body and my spirit and my mind. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's what it is to me. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. I'm curious though too, what are some of the main um, issues you find with a marriage counseling? Because another interesting thing you said was that one of the great challenges is to help virgins or people that are abstaining to abstain and it's the hardest thing in the world but then getting married people to enjoy and have sex is the hardest thing in the world (laughs) curious I'm like well that's just terrible like isn't it I know why is that (laughs) so yeah is like how do we manage the expectation for the single person and then how do we get everybody to have enjoyable sex when they actually can Yeah, well, you know, I think first of all, you've got to look at, you know, why is that a challenge? So, you know, a lot of understanding this is just this idea that sex was made for covenant. And when I say covenant, it was made for the kind of relationship that's based on a promise, which we usually call marriage, but it's this promise that I'm going to love you no matter what. I'm not going anywhere. Uh, You can be safe with me. You can be vulnerable with me because I'm with you. 
Um, and so, you know, when sex is taken outside of covenant, it becomes just this physical thing where we're just enjoying each other physically, but it's not based on a promise kind of relationship. And, uh, you know, some of the way I see this, and you might agree, you might not agree, but sex is so sacred in how God created it, that it's always under spiritual attack, that if God is real, that means evil is real. That means there is an enemy that, you know, some people call him Satan or the devil, but he wants to destroy what's most sacred. And I really believe that he is after sexuality and that uh, he will destroy it any way he can. And so, you know, the problem with trying to live with sexual integrity is if, if I'm always thinking about sex in terms of covenant, then one way he can destroy that is to convince me that sex has nothing to do with covenant. It's just a physical uh, thing I do with somebody. It has no spiritual significance. It doesn't matter what I do. But another way he can destroy it is when somebody is in marriage in a covenant relationship, then he wants to destroy it by destroying the covenant, you know, by making sex, like I described in my story, the thing you always fight about, the yeah. thing that divides you or like your story. Uh, you know, you have a husband that is unfaithful to you. I mean, what what is more wounding to a person's heart than that? Oh, it, yeah, it broke my heart. It rocked my entire world. My foundation like crumbled, basically. Yeah. And it brings up to me, too, you you said about sex is so significant because when you don't have a grasp of sexuality with God aligned together in this holistic experience, you believe you can only have one or the other. So sex, I think, has the most powerful tendency to separate people from God more than almost anything else. Because if you're LGBTQ, if you're living with your boyfriend and your mom is always in your ear, like you're sinning, you're sinning, you're sinning, then you're like, okay, well, I'm in love with this person or I don't want to stop doing what I'm doing. So I guess there's no God for me anymore. And yeah. I think that's such a tragedy. Yeah, it is a huge tragedy. And I'd also say, um, you know, sex separates us from God in other less obvious ways of just, you know, there's so many people again, that appear to be doing all the right things. They go to church, you know, they're living by the sexual quote-unquote rules or morals, but they have this tension. You know, they have shame around sexuality. They have guilt. Um, they're moralistic about sexuality, but they don't ever feel like God has entered that space of their life. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the way I put it is we talk about sex and our own sexual experiences with the people we're closest to. Like you would share your brokenness with the person that you trust the most. Mm -hmm. And if we can't share that with God, then what does that say about him? It says that he's distant. You know, it says that he's this being out there that I really can't trust, that really doesn't know me. And so when sex feels like it's a separate category from God, it has a profound impact on our spiritual lives. Well, this reminds me. You know, we have the verse, the heart is deceitful above all things. But then we also have this call and belief that the Holy Spirit can speak to us each as individuals. And I find that very, very difficult when Christians, when I feel like the Holy Spirit is saying something to me that might contradict with what someone else is saying. I feel almost attacked when someone is like, well, the heart is deceitful above all things. Because you're like, what's my heart? What's the Holy Spirit? What's actually speaking to me? And I think the greatest 
dilemma with this subject is how can we actually tell what the Holy Spirit is telling us about our sexuality? How can we bring up our vulnerability and our brokenness sexually to God when we have this entire like indoctrination of people telling us what God is like for me if I was still in promiscuity and we were having this conversation I wouldn't want to come to God because I would believe that I already knew what he was going to say because Mm -hmm. my pastors would have said well you just have to stop or you just have to pray or you know these really simplistic things whereas I believe the Holy Spirit is really gentle I believe like like I talked to my friend who is a former stripper and she was like the Holy Spirit wasn't like get off the pole, put on your clothes, stop having sex, come to church every, you know, it was like one step at a time out of that situation that was harmful to her into, you know, where she is today. So it's like, how do we get people to be comfortable with the distinction between your heart being deceitful, the Holy Spirit, and this indoctrination versus the truth that you might hear? Yeah, boy, that's a complicated question. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah drives me crazy about this whole conversation yeah so um when the bible says our heart is deceitful you know it's really saying is we don't know what's best for ourselves which goes very countercultural to what most every atheist is gonna be like (laughs) i don't even think it's every atheist i think there are a lot of christians who really have started to believe that i can trust my own heart you know god is there to support my dreams Uh, but but really that is rooted in a humanistic kind of worldview where, you know, human, we are the center of the universe and we kind of create a concept of God that supports what we believe and what we want and our desires are always good. That's really contrary to a Judeo-Christian worldview that says we were created by God, we were created for God, and there's something wrong with us. Um, Because of sin, our desires are going to be tweaked and they're always going to be a little distorted and sometimes a lot of times distorted. So if you always make decisions based on what do I feel is right, what do I believe is right, what do I want today, you're going to be very fickle and you're probably not going to find truth. Um, And so we've got to understand that we live in a culture that is very contrary to that whole understanding of, you know, something that I'll just say, I, I don't feel like I can trust myself because there are days that I wake up and all I feel is anger towards my husband. There are days I wake up and all I feel is love towards him, like, which is true. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know what I want. You know, it yeah. changes all the time. Um, so, you know, that's that's that piece of it. But the Holy Spirit um, always speaks consistently with himself, with God. And so if I feel something that is contrary to what, and I, I really believe that the closest we can get to understand the truth about God is to read the Bible. That is God's inspired word. Um, we're not going to fully comprehend it, but it's a truth that we keep going back to to test. You know, if the Holy Spirit told me this, can I really trust that's God? Um, or if my pastor told me this, can I really trust that that's God? Um, so, for example, I remember meeting with this one woman who was in a marriage that was an okay marriage, but she was married to an accountant and he was really boring and not very passionate. <laughs> and, uh, and she, she, yeah, and they had a decent marriage. They had a couple kids together. Uh, but she met this guy at the gym who was also Christian and was super passionate, just a vivacious guy. 
he was married to, and he was unhappy in his marriage. And she was coming to me and saying, I think God knows how lonely I am in my marriage. And so he's, he brought me this other guy, you know, to have sex with, to do Bible studies with, to pray with. And I'm like, you know, <laughs> are we reading the same Bible? Because I just don't think God would do that based on the Bible. I think he'd want you to be faithful to your vows and to your husband. And love is difficult. It's sacrificial. Um, so I think we always have to test what we believe, what we feel, and also what other people tell us by God's word, which has not changed. Um, you know, the good thing about the Bible is it doesn't change. The bad thing about the Bible is it doesn't change. It It's consistent. And so, um, you know, that's that's what I will continually go back to to really discern. Is this God speaking or is it just me wanting to justify what I feel is right? Yeah, I guess there's some complicated things in that for me, because I've definitely been, I would call myself a progressive Christian, Mm -hmm. um, is I guess the term that I'm learning now. Um, I get attacked occasionally and called a humanist. And I don't feel like a humanist at all, because I prioritize God above everything. And Mm -hmm. For me, like, there's a lot that I need to rely on moral intuition-wise and Holy Spirit-wise to get through the day in 2019. Like, for example, I don't feel convicted about masturbating, for example, but I do feel convicted about texting and driving. Yeah. (laughs) So, like, like is masturbation in the Bible? No, we just have that Onan verse. Right. Which is really not about masturbation at all. Exactly. Okay, so we agree. But basically, like, I think that that is complicated because I, for me, it's a lot about freeing yourself of any indoctrination or any false teachings that you were given. And I think that's the challenge to any modern Christian, because especially in the area of sexuality, there has been so much toxic misinformation that we've been given from good-hearted, spiritual, beautiful people that we trusted, but kind of dismantling that and then reading the Bible in a healthy way has been great for me. But even that, there's so many different interpretations for a lot of verses. There is slavery. They were able to justify interracial marriage being immoral because of things they were pulling from the Bible. You know, I guess what I'm saying is I still see a danger in there in humanity when we're receiving some of those biblical teachings from people that aren't necessarily giving us the right information. Yeah, I think it's a good point. You know, first of all, whenever anybody's teaching you the Bible, you have to go back to the source, which is really what the whole Reformation was about with Martin Luther. You know, he was saying, you know, back then it was like just the priest could teach you what the Bible said. You couldn't read it for yourself. Crazy. Yeah. I think a lot of Christians don't realize that we're, it's very new that we even have access to the Bible the way that we do. Yeah. I mean, with the printing press, even with most people being literate, able to read before that, you were totally dependent on what somebody else told you about God. Yeah. Um, So we do have the ability and the privilege to be able to search for ourselves and not just read the Bible, but to read other spiritual uh, writings that people claim are truth, do the work, do the investigation. Um, but I'd also say I get very uh, leery when someone wants to pick out one verse 
of the Bible and base a whole uh, worldview based on one verse, including on sexual issues. Like, I don't want to talk about what Leviticus says about homosexuality. Thank you. Like, let's, if you want to have that conversation, we have to look at the whole story and understand what the purpose of the Old Testament law was, what Jesus said about what it means for today, who, what God is doing in humanity. You know, let's have conversations about specific sexual issues once we've had the broader understanding of what the Bible is saying and who God is, not just one verse. Um, and so anytime somebody wants to preach a whole sermon on one verse uh, or or come up with some moralistic view based on one thing without taking the whole context of the Bible, then I think I think there are red flags. And I think the purity movement was based on, and I think even a lot of the conversation around LGBT is based on what a few verses say instead of the whole of scripture that represents the whole of God's heart for humanity. Right. And that on this, I had a question for you because your podcast resonates with me so hard. I love it. I think that you're having such honest conversations with people and what you had to say about the purity movement is amazing. And then I did struggle through the book at certain times because we have difference of opinion on the LGBT issue. Mm -hmm. But I think one of the main questions I have is can LGBTQ people not have covenant relationship? Because I definitely don't see a distinction between worldly sex and like Christian sex. I see a lot of dysfunction in Christians, the same as, you know, secular people. I have atheist friends that have taught me more about sexual integrity than a pastor ever has. And then I have gay friends that are in very promiscuous lifestyles, but I have straight friends the same. And then I have gay friends that are in monogamous, committed, long-term relationships. Is that not a covenantal union, especially if they're legally married now? Boy, that's a really good question. And just like, you know, I mentioned a little while ago, it's a very complicated question. And, uh, you know, I I know you're familiar with, for example, what happened with Lauren Lauren Daigle. And um, you did a video on her. (laughs) Yeah, I saw that. That was great. And thank you. You know, what I hate about that question right out of the gate and the fact that that guy even asked her is I feel like a lot of times when people are asking these questions, they want to put you in one camp or the other. Mm-hmm. And if you're not in, in their camp, like they don't want to hear anything else you have to say. Right. Um, whereas it's so complicated, Brenda, and you know that. And yeah. what you just said is so true that there are people who, uh, who are teaching biblical sexuality but their own sexuality is a mess. Even if they're married and they're only having sex with their spouse, they've got so much hidden brokenness that they're not admitting that they have no ground to stand on to talk about somebody else's sexuality. I think all that is very biblical. When Jesus came to talk to the church people of his day, you know, he rebuked them more than anyone for being hypocrites and putting burdens on people that they weren't willing to carry themselves. And so I think as we have these conversations, they need to be had with a lot of humility, um, with a lot of grace, um, and with a lot of recognizing that there, everybody has something to teach me. Um, transgenders have something to teach me. Um, people in gay marriage have something to teach me. 
Uh, you know, we need to be learning from each other yeah. as we're talking about these issues. Now, if you were to ask me from a theological perspective, um, do I believe that God blesses homosexual sex that's in within marriage? Based on what I read in the Bible, my understanding of the Bible would be that God has created sex to be a covenant between a male and female. Um, now that's not me speaking. It's what, as far as I understand the scripture, but I also will say that all of us, (laughs) well, he did say that for this reason, God created men and women, a man and a woman. He called them to leave mother and father and be united as one flesh. So he did define marriage as between a man and a woman. And he was saying for this reason, he was quoting, uh, Moses, but for this reason is because men and women, we see this in Paul's writing, reflect Christ in the church. Our genders are significant because, again, it's this picture, it's this metaphor of God's love for us. But what I do want to say, and you've already hit on this, none of us are living with perfect integrity in that. Uh, and for for me to throw stones at somebody else because they're not living with perfect integrity uh, without me recognizing and really working on where I'm broken and and where I'm falling far short of God's design for sexuality and for marriage. You know, that's where I think we've run into that a lot of trouble, but then also just no compassion. Um, I want to hear the stories of people that, you know, are, are dealing with same sex issues, dealing with transgender issues, bisexual issues, where did that come from? What's their experience like? Because for me, just to slap on a morality without really connecting with who they are personally, that's where it just becomes so offensive. Yeah. It's really difficult, though, because I just don't see any end in sight for the lack of peace an LGBTQ person could actually experience within the current Christianity. Like, I actually talked to one of my best friends. She married our youth pastor when she was 19. We went to prom together, and then we went to her wedding, like, shortly thereafter. And um, she was in that marriage for maybe 10 or 12 years, and now she is married to a woman. And she had a long journey getting out of that marriage because she was a pastor's wife. And she's saying very similar things to you, which is like, look, we're all sinners and we Mm -hmm. all fall short. And this may be a way that I fall short. However, she also said that throughout her entire marriage, she was not only unhappy, but she was always lusting. She was always like white knuckling it and trying desperately not to be attracted to the same sex. And she said it caused so much dysfunction within their marriage that now she's with this woman, she feels finally capable of having peace and praying Mm -hmm. wholeheartedly and like living as a holistic person. And it's hard for me to not see that sort of end in sight for an LGBT person because conversion therapy is a failure. It's like 98% failure or more. Mm-hmm. So, you know, is the solution that we just, do we ever allow them to just be like, you can have peace in this area in your life and just go for it? Or do we really keep hunkering down on like, this is an issue, this is a struggle, this is a sin? Yeah, I think, first of all, um, that's a very realistic situation, but it's not up to me to allow them to do anything. 
um, you know, when you use that terminology, that's between them and God. Uh, and if this is a woman or man that says, hey, I'm a Christian, I want to follow Christ, I want to surrender all of my life, including my sexuality to God, then we can read the scriptures together. I can share what my convictions are, but ultimately that's between that person and the Lord. It's not for me to say. Uh, but I will also say when we bring up that kind of situation, how many of us are at peace with our sexuality? Or I, I talk to um, you know men who are married to a woman, for example, that has been sexually abused, and sex is just you know like abhorrent to her. And so they're married for 30, 40 years, and there's never peace related to sexuality. Uh, or single Christians, like a 40-year-old woman who is waiting for God to bring a husband, but there's no husband. Yeah. Um, and so I think some of it is, if we really are people that say, I find my identity in Christ Jesus, then Jesus says that you're going to have persecution on earth, you're going to have trouble on earth. The end result is not finding peace here on earth. It is in relationship with him. It's in living for him. And there will always be tension for all of us, um, whether we're married or single or heterosexual or homosexual. There'll be tension in our finances and our physical health. Uh, in our in our vocations, like who found the perfect job? It just doesn't exist. And so, yeah, I think some of what the way we are struggling through this is the belief that God wants me to be at perfect peace here on earth in my sexuality. And the fact is, that's just not a reality for anyone. Uh, and so we don't we don't compromise God's design for sex because we're not at peace. Uh, you know, but you also, your whole ministry is about not being complacent in that way either. No, it's so we, we do what we can to pursue healing. We do what we can to pursue truth, um, to bring our wounds before the Lord, uh, to work towards what love really looks like. But it's not about here on earth. Like the Apostle Paul, who talked so much about marriage, and, you know, then he says, I'd rather you know, not. drives me crazy. <laughs> And then he says, I'd rather not, you not be married. Like, marriage really isn't that important in the end of goal. Like, you know, really it's about you and Jesus and serving Jesus. Marriage can be a distraction. Um, and so I think we've got to view sexuality and intimacy and marriage in, as important and as holy, but they're not the goal. Yeah. How do we... What is the, what is the solution? Do we like because you know on my channel, my dad, like I said, he he shares the same views as you, and we've been on a really long journey, and he was very personally hurt and affected because, like I said, his wife left him for another woman. So he reads the comments on my page, and he sees people saying like. I'm, you know, bisexual and I thought, and I just picked up my Bible again yesterday because I found God is gray and I finally felt like at peace and like God loves mm. me and that I could actually have this relationship again. So I think my question is whether or not we believe being gay is a sin, how do we form the church in such a way to make sure that people aren't leaving over the issue of sexuality, whether they be a girl living with her boyfriend or a bisexual guy, how do we stop alienating people from our, you know, community 
in this way because it doesn't seem like the most important thing. Like the Bible mentions fear and pride and so many other beautiful concepts way, way more than sexual integrity. Mm-hmm. So how do we, how do we fix this issue? <laughs> Boy, that's figure the, it out right now. <laughs> yeah, that's the million dollar question. And I'm so glad you asked that. Um, there are parts of the Bible that are offensive right? I mean, yeah. And they're offensive to me, <laughs> and they're not all just about sex. There's parts of the Bible that you said, for example, convict us of our pride, yeah. uh, of our greed, what are we doing with our money? I think we have to be careful to never try to make the Bible not offensive, because it is. Um, you know, Jesus said that he came to bring a sword, and sometimes the scripture will divide. And when the when the Bible is offensive, when God's word is offensive, we need to let it be, but we don't have to add to the offense by being uh, judgmental, by being prideful and self-righteous, by being dogmatic. And I don't think we lead with that. We don't lead, we don't lead with this is what the Bible says about sexuality. Uh, you know, it's that's, you know, like when you go through college, you take a 101, a 201, a 301. I mean, that's like an advanced course of people that have a relationship with God, um, you know, uh, and I think we have a whole different conversation if we really begin with this idea that we are all sexually broken. Um, you know, it's not just the person that's sleeping around. It's not just the person that's looking at porn. You know, this has been up in all of our lives. And I think what you're doing and why people are so attracted to what you're doing, Brenda, is because you're also being very honest about where Christians and not just Christians, other religious people have distorted God's design for sex. And they've been part of the problem instead of part of calling people to healing. Yeah. I think maybe one of the last questions to ask on this, you wrote at some point there, I forget the quote, but you were like, I'm going to say some things in this chapter that are really difficult for me to say essentially. And I believe you were talking about the LGBT issue. And I think another complicated thing for me is we often categorize being gay in the same sentence with commas as non-consensual sex, rape, assault, adultery, um, you know, these things that are so, you know, I would shout from any mountaintop that adultery is wrong and I wouldn't be ashamed at all. I'd be like, I know it's wrong. It really, it broke my heart. It rocked my foundation. It can bring disease into your relationship, you know, unwanted pregnancy elsewhere. The list of reasons why these things are wrong are so clear and it's just clear as day. Yes, those things are bad. So why is the LGBT thing the one thing that doesn't seem to feel like any of the others? Like it just doesn't resonate the same way. It doesn't, I don't see the harm. I don't see, I don't equate it at all, of course, to non-consensual sex or bestiality or anything like that. Yeah. Um, So again, you ask tremendous questions (laughs) and and they're, they're so rich. Um, But, you know, I think, First of all, being gay is not a sin. Um, Being transgender is not a sin. We can't choose what we are, but we can choose what we what we do behaviorally. 
and, uh, you know, what we do with our bodies. And I think the reason that LGBT issues feel so different is because particularly in our day and age, those things have become an identity. Like no one would walk around and say, I'm an adulterer. They'd say, I committed adultery. Uh, we just focus on the choice or behavior. We're not focused on, you know, how this is wrapped up and who I feel I am as a person. With LGBT issues, it is so tied into who my friends are, how I identify myself, how I see myself, how I want the world to see me, that it feels like when we talk about that being wrong, we're rejecting the whole person for who they are. Yeah, but I don't think that's the differentiation. Just like, I don't think... If you were to shout proudly that you're into bestiality, or if you were to say, I'm marrying, you know, my gay partner, my moral intuition just feels completely different about the two things. And, you know, and then, of course, I would argue that they are marginalized because they've had to fight for the right to just be with the person they love. But that said, like, I still think it begs to question, like, why does it feel so different to say pedophilia is wrong, being in love with your gay partner is wrong? They yeah. feel different. I know my heart may be deceitful, but oh my God, they feel different. Yeah, I would say the reason they feel different is, um, you know, again, if we go back to the Bible, Jesus said um, the two, two greatest commandments, essentially. All the commandments are summed up in two commandments. The first one is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he said the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. In today's world, we like that second commandment. And we basically have built a morality on that second commandment, that we want to love everybody the way we would love ourselves. And we define morality based on, am I being loving? Am I hurting someone else? If it hurts somebody else, then it's immoral. But if it's good for people, then it's not immoral. It's perfectly okay. Homosexuality, transgenderism, all these things, you know, in that second category of loving each other, they actually seem like very good moral things. And the immoral thing is to judge somebody or to tell them they can't act out how they want to in a sexual way, right? Mm -hmm. What makes it complicated? Again, this is for people who believe that God is who he says he is, is Jesus said, you got to remember that first commandment too, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to trust Him in His definition of what the purpose of our sexuality is. And that cuts across all of us. I mean, who would say that it's immoral for, for two heterosexual people that are in love to sleep together or to cohabit, to live together instead of getting married? If you only look at that second commandment, they're not hurting anyone, it's consensual, it's fine. But if you say and believe that we're here to worship God, we're here to honor him, we're here to take our moral cues from God, then it convicts us at a different level. That even if I'm not hurting anyone, I need to say, is my sexuality surrendered to God? And so that that's where it feels different. And if I know there are a lot of people listening to your podcast who aren't there who, who just want to believe that second commandment that we're just supposed to love each other. Um, and I get that. And if you're in that space, you don't agree at all with what I'm saying. And I understand that. But for those of us that would say, I truly believe that God is the Lord of the universe. 
that he expressed his desire for sexuality in the scriptures and that they apply today, we have a whole higher standard uh, that we evaluate things through. Um, not only am I not hurting anyone else, but am I truly submitting and surrendering to God? Yeah. What if someone is, you know, because you do bring up the possibility that you're born gay. Mm -hmm. um, and if that's the case and you put yourself in the space of that person, are they supposed to kind of like force this heterosexual union with someone? Are they supposed to be celibate forever? Are they really, if they're really fundamentally born that way, you know, how can they have a sexual life that is, you know, aligned with God, but still doesn't betray like what they were born as? Yeah. So, you know, again, really good question. You know, I think uh, there's really no, evidence that would support this idea that we're born gay. Uh, Come on, you've met gay people. You've met, like, oh, yeah. any five-year-old boy that has, like, rainbows coming out sure. of Sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I'd also say as a clinical psychologist, I believe that early life experiences play a very big role on what we, how we're shaped. And so when we look at this idea of being born gay, I think it's usually a combination of our biology, but also early experiences that form us in such a way that we we view the world, we view ourselves, we have sexual responses that are geared a certain way. And so that's when you say born gay, that's kind of what I'm going to be speaking from is that it's a combination of our biology and early experiences. That seems that stressful, like you could blame the parent for raising a gay child. Hey, you know what? We have. I'm a parent, and I'll tell you that... <laughs> You know, I did my best, but, but hey, we all mess our kids up. We were all messed up by our parents. It doesn't matter how perfectly you parent. Um, we live in a fallen world, and we all have a sinful nature. And so all of us are prone to dysfunction in so many ways. Uh, we're, we're born liars. We're born prideful, arrogant people. We're born selfish. We're born even from a sexual perspective, wanting what we want now, um, you know, none of us come out healthy with a completely healthy view of love, sexuality, identity. Uh, we, we all need help. And so I think when you view it that way, you know, health and wholeness is a lot more fluid and less dichotomous that either you're, you're gay or you're straight. And I think even, you know, the world is saying that, these categories of gray and gay and straight are just, they don't exist. Like sexual orientation can be fluid. Gender can be fluid. Um, you know, it's a lot more complicated than either you're born this way or that way. And so, yeah, I think a lot of it is just a journey of who you are, uh, what your life is about. And again, is it going to be oriented around who God is or are you saying, no, I've got this myself. I don't believe there's a God it's a much larger conversation than just, oh, if you get married, this will be solved. That's not true. Yeah. Uh, we, we, are, we are complicated people, and, um, and we're individuals, and so there's no one-size-fits-all. So you're asking such good questions, and I know, <laughs> I know you don't want easy answers because you know there aren't easy answers. Right. No, and I appreciate that. Um, 
Yeah, it's hard. I mean, I will just have to be frank and obviously say that I, I, I agree with um, sexual integrity so very much. And that's something that I am working very hard to prioritize and be in my life, someone of sexual integrity. But I also feel like I'm cheating because I was that horned up virgin that was dying to have sex. And I found that very difficult. And then I'm a girl that lives in Los Angeles and I'm surrounded by beautiful gay couples. And like, so the, these aren't just like conceptual to me. I've experienced a lot of these firsthand. Gay people are not just a a concept to me. Trans people aren't a concept to me. They're intimately in my world. So I don't know. I, I definitely couldn't tell anyone what to do or what to believe, but I just truly believe that anyone that feels like they have to choose between sexuality and God, I almost want to be like, just ease up, relax, and like be who you are in that way, and then just pursue God wholeheartedly and see what happens. Like, stay in your gay relationship. Try not to let all those voices that are exterior haunt you and torment you all the time like because if you're constantly like I'm living in sin or my sin nature is this thing that's on this pedestal in the Christian church because you can hide your pornography addiction you can hide your adultery but it's really hard to hide that this is my girlfriend Sarah you know like it's very like out there and your Christian brothers and sisters can see it so I think that's one of the things that's unfair about that but I don't know. I, I think my advice to people would be like, can we just ease up on this all together and just allow people to be so they actually have comfortability knowing that they're allowed to pick up the Bible, that they're allowed to seek God and speak to the Holy Spirit. And if they're going to be convicted in their relationship, that having the faith to trust themselves. Like I think too often pastors don't say, hey, I'm going to give this message, but we're human. Like, you and I started this conversation like, what's up? We're two human beings. We don't agree on everything, but like we are going to respect each other fully and we both love God and let's go. And I think that more of that humility would do so much good. In yeah. The yeah, I I agree with everything you just said there, Brenda. I mean, it. I don't talk about these issues unless somebody asks me, um, you know, it's, it's not like, what, what does it look like in your life if you meet a woman that has a eight-year-old gay or trans son or something? Like, there, how do you address that in real life? I don't. I just love that person and interact with them like I would any other person. But because of what I do, people are always asking me this. And so I do believe that we have to study, we have to pray, we have to search, we have to be prepared as much as we can to reflect what we believe God's heart is, but I don't look for this conversation because it's, it's ancillary. It's, it's not the most important conversation we can have with, with people. Um, and I, you know, I, I agree with a lot of what you've said in terms of, I, I've got enough sin and brokenness in my own life to deal with. I don't need to be meddling in everybody else's. And, um, you know, when people are convicted about their sexual choices, it's because God convicts them. It's not because somebody like me confronts them. Um, Yeah, I think I would like to encourage anyone listening to that 
when you start practicing, get like dismantling these ideas and the, the toxic things we've heard and just start focusing on your relationship with God, the conviction of the Holy Spirit to me is so gentle and, um, and clear. I don't, and it's not convoluted to me at all. I think that maybe if you're struggling with your sexuality or your identity in this way and it's convoluted and it's loud and it's grating, like that's not the Holy Spirit. That's like shame and information. Whereas if you could somehow clear that out, you could hear the Holy Spirit. You could yeah. hear that whisper that tells you you're astraying a little or whatever. Yeah. And I just want to say I really appreciate what you're doing. Um, the dialogue you're having and uh, inviting people like me that we might not 100% see eye to eye, but we can respect the fact that we're pursuing truth together. And that says a lot about you. Thank you so much. I'm curious, you said you watched a couple of videos or podcasts. Is there anything in particular that stood out that you like agreed or disagreed or <laughs> anything I challenged you on or anything? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> I, I love the fact that you have such different guests on from different points of view. Uh, and what I also love is that you're so vulnerable about your own journey and your own story. You know, you're not pretending like, oh, I've got all this figured out and nope. I'm looking like, <laughs> I mean, you're learning right alongside those that you're leading, and that's that's really beautiful. So I'm going to keep listening and oh, learning um, because I think you're having important conversations. Thank you. Um, any final thoughts or anything? I, I'm just going to highlight what you said. I mean, what this is all about is pursuing God. Um, you know, ask him to reveal truth to you. And ask him to help you hear his voice. And, um, you know, we hopefully are just people that can prompt that journey. But we're not God. And our heart's desire is that you would just be pursuing truth yourself. Yeah. I love that. Um, and what does the future of your ministry look like? I think it's, uh, like, also beautiful. I wanted to mention that you had a podcast with the woman that was dealing with pornography addiction and you were talking about how these issues are not gendered. I think the church often overlooks things and makes those generalizations. Like, women are like this and men are like that. And I love that, you know, that was something that was brought up. Yeah. Well, the future of what we're doing is I'll continue to, to walk with women through, you know, what does it look like to pursue sexual wholeness and, I, and all different circumstances. But really what is on my heart now is a lot of what the conversation we've had today to really help the church um, dismantle the paradigms we've been using related to sexuality. And uh, uh, I, I commend you in that. I really, I would love if you could start making some changes in that area. Well, you know, that's, that's my heart and yeah. what a lot of my effort in this coming year and so is going to be about is just really any church or Christian organization that's open to it, you know, start dismantling this whole notion of the purity movement and the categorization of people and church really yeah, not pure and pure yeah, and broken whole, you know, we want the church to be a genuine safe place where people can pursue God and pursue healing. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Sure, thank you. Pleasure.